questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Are we alone in the universe? Or are we part of a greater cosmic community? This question has fascinated humans for centuries and has given rise to countless theories and beliefs. But what if there was a way to move beyond belief and into direct experience? That's what exoconsciousness is all about. Exoconsciousness is a term coined by our guest today, Rebecca Hardcastle Wright, PhD, a leading expert in the field and founder of the Institute for Exoconsciousness, IXO. Rebecca has spent over a decade researching and exploring the ways in which humans can connect with extraterrestrial intelligence and expand their consciousness. Her work at IXO is helping people develop their exoconscious abilities and co-create with off-world intelligence to benefit humankind and planetary well-being. In this interview, we'll be diving deeper into the world of exoconsciousness with Dr. Wright. We'll explore the concept itself, its implications for our understanding of ourselves and the universe, and the practical ways in which people can develop and apply their exoconscious abilities. Rebecca Hardcastle Wright holds a PhD in parapsychic science from the American Institute of Holistic Theology and is the author of multiple books, including the latest one, which will be the focus of tonight's interview, Exoconscious Humans. Will free will survive in an increasingly non-human world? She has been a featured speaker at conferences and events around the world and has been interviewed by numerous media outlets on the topic of exoconsciousness. Her work is helping to usher in a new era of understanding and connection among all, all beings, both on and off Earth. Welcome to Veritas. If this is your first time listening, welcome home. To access tonight's full interview and all of our exclusive material, simply join the Veritas Plus family by clicking on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. And while you're there, don't forget to check out the Veritas store for a range of great products, including focused life force energy. Experience the power of FLFE with a 15-day free trial today. No credit card required. We're excited to announce the launch of our brand new Veritas Plus Insider, your source for exclusive news and insights you won't find anywhere else. If you're looking to get in touch with Mel, have a guest suggestion, or would like to provide feedback, simply click on the contact button on our website. So sit back, relax, and enjoy tonight's show. And now, here's your host, Mel Hasselrich. Her website is exoconsciousness.com. And from my Grand Canyon state of Arizona, I'd like to welcome Dr. Rebecca Hardcastle Wright. Hello and welcome to Veritas. How are you? I'm well. Thank you, Mel. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. I appreciate it. My pleasure. May I call you Rebecca? Yes, please. Thank you. Well, first question. What exactly, it is, it's the, coin you, the, the term you coined, what exactly is exoconsciousness and how does it differ from traditional notions of human consciousness? Exoconsciousness is now defined, it's gone through several iterations, but it's currently defined as the uh, innate human ability to connect, communicate, and co-create with extraterrestrials, multidimensionals, and spiritual beings. The way that it's different from other forms of consciousness is that it emphasizes uh, cosmic consciousness but also from the framework of being a human. So it's all about um, the, the the human sovereign moral, uh, say moral sovereignty, and how we as humans can learn to live and co-create with extraterrestrials and multidimensionals and spiritual beings. So from now on, I'll just say extraterrestrials or ETs, and you'll know that I'm talking about sure. all forms of being. Of course. And by the way, before we begin, you mentioned to me that the book came out in 20, uh, what was it, two years ago, three years ago? Yeah, 20, um, two and a half years ago. Two and a half years ago. When I finished reading it, it almost feels like you just wrote it yesterday because the information we'll be discussing tonight is so appropriate, so timely now. It's almost like we're going in the uh, a quantum leap of technology. And, you know, some people write to me saying, Mel, this is so bad, technology. I always see things with duality. A knife can be used to cut a, 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 an apple, or it could be used to kill someone. 
Same thing with, with the technology we're seeing. So we're going to be dissecting all this AI, transhumanism, singularity, and more importantly, are we going to keep our free will eventually? That's the question that we're going to be answering throughout the interview. So why is exoconsciousness so important, Rebecca? I, I began writing uh, Exoconscious Humans, gee, about 2017. I actually researching it in 2015 and 2016 when I lived in Washington, D.C. And when you live somewhere, and I was working with Dr. Edgar Mitchell. So when you live somewhere like Washington, people just tend to drop information on your lap as well as the fact that I love to research. And I was working with Dr. Mitchell's team of scientists. So there was a lot coming at me at that point. And I um, I began to see a very distinct pattern forming. And at first, I didn't believe it. And as I wrote about in my book, it was rather traumatic for me to to get this understanding. So I understand when people say, this is traumatic, this is so horrible, because uh, I'm a mom, I'm a grandmother. And quite frankly, it took me, it took me moving back to Phoenix, calming down moves are always calming for me, because they just reorder everything and you're in a new space. And I, I found the perspective then to write the book, because I was very concerned as a mother and a grandmother and a scholar and a researcher, I was very concerned about what was going to happen to innate human psychic abilities and spiritual abilities. I didn't know if they would be able to last through this um, full spectrum dominance, uh, as is often coined the term, uh, Alana Friedland uses, I think it comes from Lockheed Martin, but the full spectrum dominance of um, social engineering, geoengineering, and genetic engineering. I, I just didn't know if humans, what made us human, our, our personal self, our self-identity, our, our spiritual nature, our psychic abilities, this this whole architecture that we have inside of our bodies that connects us to the field of consciousness that is really the root of exoconsciousness, this, this cosmic um, uh, field in which other beings dwell. I didn't know if we were going to lose that or not. And um, that, that was my, that was my impetus. And that's what caused me to put the book together. And so I, I wrote the book, most of the chapters have three sections. So there's the the viewpoint of exoconscious humans, how we operate. There's the viewpoint of transhumans. And through the book, then I was able to describe what transhumans are all about, as well as what exoconscious humans are about. And then the third point was, is there a common ground between the two and, and how, how we exactly live? And this, as I... Um, as I've gone deeper into my understanding of this, I, I feel, Mel, like it's not going to be much different from myself as a human living and being connected, communicating, co-creating with extraterrestrials, but that I am in the future going to be increasingly um, communicating, connecting, and co-creating with um, people who've chosen to be cyborgs. By the way, Ilana is a great friend of this program. And this question is not part of the notes I wrote, but it just occurred to me. You mentioned you knew COVID was coming when you wrote the book. Were you seeing a connection between that transhumanism and the mechanism being used to introduce certain quote-unquote technology into people? Yes, absolutely. Because it's all part of, it's all part of genetic engineering. And, and by the way, I just also want to give a give a, a hug to Alana because she was highly, highly influential in my work. And um, that's, that's what I saw happening. And it, it was interesting in New Year's day, I woke up and this voice came to me. This does happen not every day, but it's not uncommon. And a voice came to me and it just said, you will be quarantined. <laughs> and I looked at my husband and I just said, I just got a message. We're going to be quarantined. I'm not quite sure how to do that. And, you know, bless his heart. <laughs> this this is before well, the lock. This is before the lockdown. Oh, for sure. This was like, yeah, 
before everything. And, and I just said, I don't know what this means. Um, and so he said to me, uh, I, I said, he, he said, well, you know, I believe what you're hearing. We may be going into a, a quarantine type situation. Let's, and I said, well, let's go ask our Mormon neighbors. You know, they all, they know, are really, they know. Yeah. <laughs> well, unfortunately my Mormon neighbor, we walked across the street. It's a beautiful day. I remember asking her the question. I said, I felt I was, I felt that we were going to go into lockdown. Do you know anything about a quarantine? And she said, well, we really don't do that. And so my husband and I just sort of figured it out for ourselves. But um, yeah, I definitely got a heads up. You can't live and work and have friendships with people in Washington, D.C. without knowing that. Well, you can. But for me, I couldn't do that without knowing that chemical biological weaponry was a reality. You you can't live near Fort Detrick and not know that this is going on and that people in and around Fort Detrick are, you know, dying of cancer, don't drink the water. It's it's just a reality that people deal with. And I just I became more and more educated about chemical, biological weaponry. And I knew that in order to um, implement transhumanism, that they would have to put the genetic piece in play. I didn't know exactly that it was going to be COVID, but I knew that there was going to be some kind of a virus or an infection. So this raises the question, and this is the part that I'm most interested in knowing, the the merger, obviously the merger between biology and technology, whether psychic abilities can exist in a transhuman culture and whether AI could suppress or replace human consciousness. It's interesting. Um, I, I have, like Elena, uh, Elena, I have studied Steiner. And one of the things that Steiner said at the turn of the century was that there will be vaccines that will loosen the etheric body from humans and that those vaccines will change our souls and will change our connection to God. So as far back as that, I, I knew that there was something about injections and vaccines that had this ability. Um, and then, you know, Mel, you have to look at what was happening in the Middle East war and all the all the research around, um, you know, Islamic fundamentalist and and the identification of the of the brain uh, circuitry of a of a of a of an extreme fundamentalist or an extreme religious person. There's just been, a, you know, the God part of the God part of the brain. You, you can't ignore that and not know that that was one of the areas that they were moving into. But you know, the neural system is just is just one part of of uh, the architecture, the physical architecture of this, this this physical, spiritual architecture of a human. You know, there's also, you know, chakras, meridians. Um, and I'm sure that's being worked on also because to move humans into a cyborg state, uh, you can't have uh, these, these, rogue, <laughs> these rogue systems operating. So there's going to be a, a further a further movement into the human body by absolutely that's going to happen. Not only the human body, but we have to realize that it's also nature. So um, most of us went to high school and studied biology and the, uh, the, the Linnaeus classifications back in the 1700s. And, and we, we learned that that pre-Darwinian system was how we identified all of nature. Well, around the 1970s, a group got together in Northern California at, at interestingly enough, a, a YMCA, this beautiful YMCA facility, and they decided that they would barcode and identify all of nature, um, synthetic as well as natural, and that that's now called the Philo Code, but you never hear anything about it. So um that phylo code is it's actually a new biological classification that includes um, humans also <laughs> because we are also being um, engineered and hybridized. So um, that that model, that phylo code is very computer compatible. And then there's they also rolled out something called the barcode of life. And they took short sequences of DNA and barcoded them into a, a global standard of species identification, including humans. 
And all this is put together in a in a in a vast uh, global platform to identify us. Who is responsible for cataloging this file code? There's a, a group called uh, CBOL. There's about, I don't know, 200 organizations that are part of it and from about 50 countries that are now, I mean, expanded from, you know, in the 1970s, it was just a small group, probably international group that gathered and 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 began to do this study. And that's usually how things happen. Uh, as we all learn, you know, small groups of people can have absolutely um, cataclysmic influences throughout life. And uh, that's what this group did. The reason why I asked you that question is because you may have heard that there's legislation. Hey, you, you lived in Washington, and there was legislation not too long ago where certain politicians wanted to vote against a law that allows human hybrid, human animal hybrids in the United States. And this, I forgot exactly the, the politician's name, but it was overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly voted against. They wanted to continue. So the law still stands that it's okay to experiment with human-animal hybrids. That's why I ask you, who's cataloging this? Because I'd be so curious to see if they have other types of human. And I'm not referring to— Other types of humans. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely they have other types of humans. This is all part of the the whole um, DNA identification through, uh, through COVID was to be able to catalog these different species of humans that exist on Earth. From your book, you present two perspectives, that of the extra-conscious humans who value their psychic abilities and see them as essential for the survival and advancement of human consciousness, and that of the Silicon Valley experts who see transhumanism as an exciting and invaluable opportunity to integrate technology into our bodies and environment. I love their marketing schemes. What is the difference between the perspectives of exoconscious humans and transhumans? Exoconscious humans are different in the fact that we see humans as more than a brain. We believe that human consciousness is non-local, that it's kind of, you know, Rupert Sheldrake, it's part of the field of consciousness. It has the ability to uh, function multidimensionally. Uh, through many, many dimensions, probably uncounted dimensions at this point. And, and uh, that's, that's how it functions. So it needs those essential abilities, those essential psychic abilities, spiritual abilities, because you can't navigate the complexity of multi-dimensions without having some kind of grounding in spiritual knowledge or spiritual discernment. So that that's what that's one of the reasons humans were given this ability this part of our human consciousness is this ability to to discern that's that's much more than an instinctive discernment that an animal has as for this is this is a simplistic answer but for transhumanisms transhumanists i would say that they're they are much more brain and neurologically oriented in terms of how they view the human species. So um, a lot about, um, uh, you know, digital digital information, uh, everything is digitalized, biology is digitalized, psychology is digitalized, everything is brought down into a, a, a very narrow uh, code of what, of what makes a human. Even our own energy will be used to mine cryptocurrency, and we'll discuss this later. How can exoconscious humans navigate the challenges presented by transhumanism, and here's the key, and preserve our core being? Um, I am, I was working with someone the other day, and they they were working with this renowned person, and he was, you know, quoting about, you know, the third industrial revolution. I thought, oh, shoot, you know, Klaus Schwab were already, the third? Or yeah, the we're, fourth. We're already or the in the fourth. fourth. Yeah, yeah, we're already in the fourth. Is what I'm thinking. This, you know, this guy needs to step it up. And all of a sudden, I just, you know, how these things happen. I just, I thought, exoconscious humans are the fifth. We're we're that's we're the fifth, and believe me, there will be a sixth. But right now, exoconscious humans are refining the ability to. Um, 
communicate and co-create and live side by side with cosmic beings using all of our psychic abilities, all of the energetics that make us a human. And after that, I think humans may um, naturally evolve into, you know, a further refined species. But I see exoconscious humans as the next step. And that's why I feel there's so much positive information coming out of our community right now. And how we navigate that, how we navigate transhumanism is we say no. Uh, we say no to uh, genetic engineering um, on the days that uh, I live in Phoenix. So most days there's chemtrails, there's ionization of the atmosphere. Um, I pick and choose when I go outside. Um, I'm very selective about what I eat, uh, the air I breathe, uh, where I live, the people I'm around. And there's a high, high, there has to be a high, high level of um, of discernment as to how you're going to live your life. Otherwise, you're just, um, you're free game for the I miss, transhumans. I miss the blue skies in Arizona. I mean, I've been here for 20 some years now. And I remember the fluffy clouds and the blue skies. And now it's almost, it's a grayish sky in the morning. You see those planes you know, the people who don't see, who, who say, yeah, COVID is in the air. It's going to get you. It's going to kill you. But they don't look up. And they and if they do, they just don't see that. They don't discern. What, what is up with those people who had so much fear about COVID, but they see that above their, you know, they have their, their clean water from, you know, the major companies that, you know, they're putting certain ingredients in those waters, but they don't look up and say, something's wrong. I I don't know if they're educated. It's, it's interesting because I was with a group of people that were uh, graduates of um, the uh, the aeronautics school, um, Embry-Riddle Aeronautics. And I was with them and I said something like, oh, wow, there's a lot of chemtrails out today. And they all looked at me and they said, "There's and these are all pilots. They said, there's nothing, that doesn't exist. There's no such thing as yeah. chemtrails. Right. And right then I knew that contrails. Yeah, you can take that you could take that battle on, but you're gonna lose. That's and 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 much of this, I think, after I left DC, I realized that so many things were no longer my battle. They were no longer something that I was willing to invest my time and energy in, that people just had to decide for themselves. And when they were ready to, to see it, they were ready to see it. And my responsibility was to be um, moral and uh, grounded and go further into exoconsciousness and carve out an option for people that I saw and which might, which is, it's not just me. It's, it's a community that I'm in now that, 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 you know, is surrounding this work, a community of exoconscious humans. I'm so glad you're talking about all these subjects because I, even I have to be very careful with my guests. Sometimes there are certain topics I don't discuss. You mentioned chemtrails. Well, you opened the door for me to talk about it, but usually <laughs> if, if, if the guest doesn't mention it and the, the topic we're discussing does not, include that. I let that go because I have in situations in the past where you have somebody who you think is so open-minded, but you even bring that word and they want to hang up on you saying, oh, conspiracy theorists, da-da-da, there's a condensation trail. Look, I used to fly planes. I know the difference between a condensation trail and a chemical trail. It is obvious. And, you know, those patterns you see, tic-tac-toe, you're going to tell me that those are the route <laughs> of commercial airliners? Come on now, just question that. But one of my friends who's very into all of this came from Silicon Valley the other day and, and shared with me a long presentation. And it talks about, about all of this. He says that what they're talking about, that we are going to be living over 150 years. And then this is the positive side of what's coming, that they have, they're using technology and AI to perfect medicine. Now, the question is, some people think that we are overpopulated are we going to be extending our lifespan with quality of life? Or is it going to be a subscription-based model, which is what the COVID vaccine is creating, in my opinion, removing the, what do you call it, the uh, uh, the immune system so mm -hmm. that if you get a cold, 
you have to get a shot or medicine all the time. What's your take on this possibility that we may be living over 150 years? And I think we used to in the past before these parasites took over. Um, well, first of all, I think humans have always had to deal with parasites. <laughs> it's just that we didn't know what they were. And um, here in the quote first world, we've had less of a less of an issue with that. Uh, second of all, I don't really believe that material science. By the way, I don't mean to interject. I mean truly parasites who took over this world to oh, enslave human us. Parasites. Yes. Right, right. Right. I see. Um, so I, I don't know. So all that I know of in terms of medicine today is that it's it's all material medicine. It's all material science and it's digital. It's um, it's cybernetics. Uh, so I e even with quantum computing, it's still it still has a, a cybernetic aspect to it. I don't think that it's going to work. I think actually what's going to happen is that breakoff groups like exoconscious humans are going to be bringing forth consciousness healing modalities that will work for people, except that if you don't have the consciousness to go into the system and be able to receive it and use it with your body and with your energy gates and with your with your spirituality and your psychic abilities if you don't have those then the consciousness technology will not work for you it's kind of like the stories that we used to read about um i'm sure sure you've heard of it of you know the back engineering technology and and this back engineered technology was given to some some man at, at at some base and you know he couldn't it was some kind of crystalline energy object and he couldn't work it but someone with an advanced consciousness came up took the took the crystal and made it work i think that's the kind of medicine that we're going to see increasingly, except that it's never, it's like chemtrails. It's not going to be seen by the vast majority of people today. They, well, they, they won't even see these modalities. They won't even see people being healed and living longer with these modalities because they can't. Because they can't, because they're so close-minded. Is that why? I don't think they're closed-minded. I don't think they perceive themselves as closed-minded. I think that their their world is defined as such that um, it's like the inability to see chemtrails. You know, a lot of people, you know, like um, the the Rife machine, for example. You know, Rife was using frequencies to heal cancer. And, yeah. You know, people's rife machines were taken away and people got into trouble. I, I think that there's going to be um, an explosion in that frequency, energetic consciousness, spiritual healing field, which I and my and this exoconscious humans community are part of. But I don't think that material science and material medicine are going to want to acknowledge it. And so patients of these groups are not going to want to acknowledge it. My father-in-law passed away about 25 years ago, but he he had a, form, a very rare form of cancer. And before, a year or two before, he bought a Rife machine. The problem mm -hmm. was that the, it was illegal to buy the machine with an instruction manual. So it's, it's almost nothing. So obviously he passed away. And uh, even a couple of days ago, I'm talking to a friend of mine who is... Uh, a doctor with a specialty, and we were discussing medicine, and he said, you know, the one thing that we haven't been able to conquer in medicine is lower back pain. You can have operations, you can have this, you can have that, but we haven't been able to figure it out. And I told him, well, what if I told you that I had back pain all my life, and seven years ago, I was able to get rid of it like this with something? He goes, what is that? Grounding. And he said, what is grounding? So obviously they don't know what that is. And ever since no. I started grounding, I've never had pain anymore. I love that. Yeah. So even doctors, they're so programmed by their script written by the Rockefellers. You know, we don't have mm -hmm. to get there. You know what I mean. But what is the relationship between transhumanism and ancient alchemy practices? Because I think there's a huge connection there. Between transhumanism and ancient alchemy? Uh, yes, Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yes, there is. I mean, I think a lot of transhumanism is built on um, alchemical 
um, perceptions of uh, a ruler. I'm going to become a ruler of the universe. I'm going to turn lead into gold. I'm going to I'm going to you know achieve Im- immortality. Uh, um, absolutely, a lot of black magic is involved, just like in the space program. Just as in any kind of advanced uh, technology, any kind of advanced science in the world, uh, not overtly, but covertly has a lot of um, black magic, a lot of alchemy um, attached to it. So it's interesting that you bring this up, um, mentioning alchemy, because I speak in uh, in in uh, in Brazil, usually a couple times a year. I haven't been able to go because you can't get in because you're vaccinated right now. But um, I used to go to Brazil and I, I work with the spiritual healing community there. And uh, that includes, you know, Amazon and all the different groups that are that are in Brazil, and um, the one of the presentations I did to them was looking at alch- looking at transhumanism, at for example how DNA functions, at how DNA uh, self self constructs, how the DNA operates in our bodies, and what I was doing in the talk was then I was alchemizing that and saying how do we take that knowledge and alchemize that into gold for exoconscious humans? Because like Alana Freeland, I think everyone has to become a citizen scientist, a citizen scientist, a citizen uh, uh, mathematician, you name it. We all have to learn how to do that right now. And all, all the information that came out of COVID about immunity, about vaccines, about about what was happening to the human body, about how how the whole medical system works. I mean, we were all educated to a very high degree during that. And I I welcome that because we can literally alchemize that information to help us move forward as exoconscious humans. Who are exoconscious humans? In terms of so um just to give you a little idea of what I do, uh I run what I call um, exoconscious exoconscious coaching groups. And, you know, it's a funny, Mel, you just kind of throw out ideas and think you're going to do something. And I thought, well, I'll just offer this exoconscious coaching. I'll get a lot of people that, you know, they're new to the field. They're curious, you know, whatever. I got the exact opposite. I it, it attracted for some reason, it attracted very sophisticated, professional, knowledgeable people of all ages. And they have one thing in common. All of them had some kind of psychic or spiritual or multidimensional awakening in their life that changed their entire perspective of who they were, of what the universe was and what they as humans were capable of because of this experience. So they found their tribe. They found their tribe. Being around Arizona, I don't know if you were familiar with Ruth Hover. No. Okay. So I moved from Dayton, Ohio to, um, to, to Phoenix and I ended up in, in, uh, in Fountain Hills. And, you know, as, as life would have it, I end up meeting this woman named Dr. Ruth Hover. And she had her, got her doctorate from a USC. And she was at that time in the 90s working with John Mack. So she was working with John Mack and Leo Sprinkle to put together how, um, how um, psychologists can work with experiencers. And she had the what I think at the time was the long the longest running uh, experiencer group in the nation, and I just happened as she started it. I just happened to come in and and join her group, and it was you know another another amazing turning point in my life. She had this vast library, like three books deep. I, I was a single mom at the time. I didn't have any money. I didn't you know I had. A good mind, but I didn't have any money, and and she lent lent me all her books and introduced me to so many people. It was um, it was quite amazing, and that group was the same. It was people who had had some kind of I hate to call it awakening because that word's kind of been misused, but some event happened in their life that changed how they saw life from then on. And I remember 
being so stunned when she passed away that of my colleagues who were in that group, and there were maybe tops 20 of us, probably 15 to 20 people. It was very small. But out of that book, out of that group, I think there were eight to 10 books written. There were people who were making presentations. There were people who were inventing new sciences. There were healers. It, it, it was it was miraculous. And the identical thing is happening with the Exoconscious Humans group. I'm seeing it happen right now, right in front of my eyes. I didn't have the privilege of meeting Dr. John Mack. He passed away a few years before I started this program, but I did meet Dr. Leo Sprinkle, and, and mm-hmm. it was such a great experience. And uh, we, we used to have a lot of communication. He didn't own a computer. And, and right. it's interesting <laughs> you mentioned. <laughs> exactly. So it's interesting you mentioned his name because right this morning, Rebecca, I was moving, relocating a lot of my library of books. And the one book that I grabbed first was Dr. Leo Sprinkle's. And inside, I kept a lot of his written letters. He used to write in letters oh, to me, and yeah. I still have them there. And I saw that book, I had to put it on top of my pile. So wherever <laughs> you are. A sweet man. Oh, yeah, gosh, yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Wherever you are among the stars, I hope you're watching over yeah. us, Dr. Sprinkle, because things are getting interesting here. Now, biophotons, this is a, a, a topic that interests me highly. A biophoton study suggests that consciousness may be a field of light communication, a higher consciousness may be related to a higher frequency in the production of biophotons. And this begs the question, Rebecca, if light can carry information and the information is encoded in the form of variations in the light waves, intensity, frequency, phase, and polarization, I don't want to bore people with too much of that, but that's the principle of fiber optic communication. What if we get information from the sun since photons carry information and this is one of the reasons why we see chemtrails above our heads all the time, to stop that communication. To stop that communication. Absolutely. And also to drop um, different minerals onto the planet to ionize ionize the atmosphere. So there, have, have you um, had um, Robert Temple on uh, New Theory of Heaven? No, I haven't, but he's one of those that's been elusive. Oh, okay. Um, see, I, I met I met him through Dr. Ruth, <laughs> Dr. Ruth Hover, because <laughs> I read all of his his Egypt books and some of his China book, and um, yeah. So he's he has a, a fascinating. I'm just really starting into his book, but I I, I feel his work in uh, plasma science, which he calls a new theory of heaven, is exactly where we're going right now. And uh, I'm actually um, planning to spend the summer learning more about plasma theory, plasma science, how humans use it. And it's it's interesting um, that you bring up the sun because among, there are experiencers, um, some of whom are, are good friends of mine that have gone into um, alternative energies. And w- one of his is Susan Manwich. She took over um, Brian O'Leary's um, new new energy Oh, really? Energy movement. Oh, we knew Brian. Yes. Right. Susan would be a great guest. Uh, She's a good friend. Um, So people like Susan have um, experiences from childhood that gave them information about um, this science, this plasma science, this alternative science. And um, I, I think this this is really, a, 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 like you say, a, a different uh, transmission of information, a different level of consciousness to receive this uh, plasma science, re- receive this information coming from plasmas. That's why I would I would say that um, you if you wish to go into an exoconscious civilization, as I like to call it, or an exoconscious life then you have to do certain protocols to keep yourself from becoming transhuman so that you can receive information about this science and be able to apply it because um, it it can be a very dangerous science, you know, plasma weapons, rods of God, um, kind of the work of Joseph Farrell. It, It can be an explosive science if misused, or it can be an incredibly 
advanced science that will move humans places that they've never been before. And I believe the science is there to to replicate experiments with DNA and light. You probably have heard of the Dr. Garyaev's modulation of lasers to rewrite portions of DNA molecule. He right. he transformed frogs into salamanders. And again, if these particles that are being drop above our heads all the time, if they're coated with certain information and the light that goes through it comes to us in a very, shall I say, uh, uh, what's the word I want to use? Uh, it's distorted. Distorted so that what we get is not the real intention mm-hmm. of what the creator created the sun with that information because I truly believe we download information from light. Yes, absolutely. And and that's that's the that's the whole that's what probably bothered me the most about transhumanism as I went into it was that I understood that we were going to be living in an artificial reality and that it was all encompassing and that this this idea that you can maybe have one foot in but not the other one or that you can kind of become genetically modified but not really that no, that's that's not what the game is at this point. The game is all or nothing. And I think that the whole um, Silicon Valley Bank situation highlighted yeah. that. You know, everybody got bailed out. So you know, we're gonna we're gonna privatize the earnings and we're gonna socialize the losses. I love that saying. Somebody on Twitter said it. <laughs> well, you see, privatize, privatize you keep- the earnings, socialize the losses, and you, you saw what what happened. You keep see you. you- this is the difficult part of doing what I do because I, I wait for the guest to say something to give me permission to talk about it. What just happened is Silicon Valley Bank. I think I wrote a, 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 two things. I, I wrote a, a post a couple of days ago of the similarities between, and I don't mean to deviate. We'll, we'll get back to our yeah. subject in a moment. But I wrote a, a post on the similarities of Woodrow Wilson when he mm-hmm. said that we needed a new banking system in order to make our, our economy sustainable. Don't you think it's the same thing that's happening now? I say in a few days or in a few weeks, a lot of these banks, more of them will fail. They're trying to psychologically make people believe that their system is robust and your, your savings are, are safe. But what if they're trying to do this because Joseph Gentile or Gentile, you've, have you heard that name, Rebecca? No. He was the chief operating officer for Silicon Valley Bank. He was also oh, okay. the CFO for Lehman Brothers. So oh, these I are knew the, that. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the two biggest implosions of banking. <laughs> and before that, he was part of Arthur Anderson, which is the co-conspirator mm-hmm. of right. the uh, what was it? Uh, uh, Enron, and what Enron, was the other yeah. Enron and the other tele the, the communications company? I forgot the name. But this guy is involved. But do you think they're trying to usher in CBDC, the the uh, cash, uh, what is it, uh, digital currency, yeah, the central, the bank, digital central bank digital currency? I think this is the equivalent of the new Federal Reserve, nationalizing all the banking, all the banks, removing all the regional banks and the local banks so they can have more control. Well, there was also talk that Jamie Dimon um, was the influencer that said, get your money out of uh, Silicon Valley Bank. <laughs> So, you know, that only and now if you read today, you know, money is flowing into the into the big banks. They in in, in order to make central bank digital currencies um, effective, you have to get rid of the local and the regional banks. Yes, exactly. So you have to funnel everyone. Down. I mean, it's, it's 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 the M.O. It's their M.O. all the time, whether it's vaccines or whether it's whether it's geoengineering. Everybody goes down. It's it, it, it's 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 like a one step dance. Like Here's the dance. Here's the funnel. Go down it. And that's exactly what's happening here. And everybody's colluding in the, the, the higher ups in Silicon Valley Bank all cashed out. They knew that their stock was going to be worthless and they all yeah. cashed out, you know, days before it happened. They but paid they bonuses. On it. Yeah, they, they paid were bonuses. On it. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that's what's, what, and so see, I'm glad that we're talking about this because I wrote a few notes to see if there is a correlation between what's coming with digital currency. Because I think this is part of the, 
of the whole technocratic government that we'll be seeing in the near future. But what is the main problem with using conventional language to describe exoconsciousness experiences? In terms of the problem to get people to understand it? Well, I guess sometimes the experiences are so vast and so difficult to explain. And this is, I have notes here about symbols. For example, uh, what do you call it? Uh, crop circles. Crop mm -hmm. circles, many people see them and they say, wow, that's beautiful. It's wonderful, but they can't understand it. But what if those who are making the crop circles know that our innate ability to receive information is by visuals and our subconscious mind understands it, but our conscious mind does not? Isn't exoconsciousness experiences more of a subconscious mind uh, conceptual knowledge, which is very difficult to describe in words, in language? Uh, I would say yes and no. I think the base level of exoconsciousness is individual experiences. That um, sure, there is a symbolic language that the subconscious has, but so I'm also a therapist. So what I do in my therapy with people is help them realize the unconscious belief systems and the unconscious um, actions that they are they are living out every day. It's almost creating their own misery in many, many cases, in most cases. So um, I think part of what's going to happen to humans is that this um, sort of, um, I don't know, fourth dimension, fifth dimension mass consciousness, that it's not going to operate the same as it has before in terms of subconscious because people are becoming aware of it. We're aware of these different dimensions and how they hold us in, in their grip. And they're not going to work when people see them for what they are. So I would say um, in some sense, there's going to be less subconscious and more conscious experience. Well, actual consciousness, you define it as the as innate human ability to connect, communicate, and co-create with ETs and multidimensionals. And there's that key word there, innate. Does that mean, Rebecca, that we all have that ability? And if so, why do most not know how to tap into it? Um, I think historically people have tapped into it in very different ways, probably not calling it exoconsciousness. It's certainly not a new thing. I mean, and that, just for your listeners, that word was given to me um, by uh, another source, by extraterrestrials, actually. And I could tell you that how it happened. But um, but I think people have always been attentive to the stars. I think people have been attentive to nature, to astrology, to um, certain forms of mysticism. Within every religion has a mysticism. And um, they are now, I think, it's almost like the mystical religious person needs a new language or the person who read nature or the person who looked at the stars and read astrology. It's almost as if exoconsciousness was given to me because we needed a new language to reference that innate ability. I remember back in 2009, I believe it was, I went on a, a conference with uh, Dr. Stephen Greer and, uh, uh, Colin Andrews was there and I went to other conferences with Grant Cameron and there was sure. one, one thing that was coming out of the time. They were all telling me, we know they exist. We know the ships are there and they're physical or non-physical, but the one thing we need to transcend now to the consciousness aspect. So the question is, how does exoconsciousness differ from mainstream ufology? Well, in my book, I talk about how, um, exoconscious humans are CE5. So CE4 with Jacques Vallée and that beautiful work that he did, um, Passport to Mandonia, where he talked about um, the different, you know, kind of the, the old ways of consciousness that came out of myth and legend, uh, primarily in Europe. And I think there's someone that actually has a website now that I saw that he's continuing that, continuing that work. And, um, and then Stephen Greer came out with um, CE5, where... Um, as a mutual beneficiary, beneficial um, 
sighting of crafts or lights or orbs and humans uh, communicating with them. So exoconscious humans are different than that because we're not really craft oriented. Um, we're much more consciousness oriented or we're actually almost all consciousness oriented. And um, and so, you know, a lot of CE5 is about um, looking up into the sky and seeing craft and, you know, being, a, you know, UFO Twitter or, you know, whatever that whole that whole movement. Exoconscious humans are very different from that. It's really based, as I've said before, in uh, in human experience, and it's based on um, a lot of the emerging science that's that's coming forward. What are the three primary aspects of exoconscious humans? I'd say the primary aspect is that they've had some form of direct contact, direct conscious contact with something outside of themselves, some kind of a being outside of themselves. And that 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 um, that contact has led them into a time when they began to question everything that they believed heretofore. Uh, the second thing is that exoconscious humans are have a moral sovereignty. So um, I don't think that or that that a person can can operate as an exoconscious human in an in an immoral manner, immoral manner. Um, I, it just doesn't work. You're not going to get to these advanced levels of consciousness and certainly not cosmic consciousness and cosmic contact or, you know, multidimensional contact unless you have some kind of, of, of a moral framework with which to operate. And I think the third thing that sets them apart is um, that we are human. So we're not trying to be a hybrid. We're not trying to be um, a walk-in. We're not trying to be an ET. We're trying to be a human who is um, who is affiliated and and working with um, extraterrestrials, multidimensional um, spiritual beings on a peer-to-peer uh, level. And um, if we can't make that step, that's a first step in in um, us us growing as humans and as i said you know this may also spill into uh learning to live with a uh, a sentient computer if if that happens if the big if if that happens but um we are humans and we respect the the uh, spiritual energetic architecture of our human body and um and care for it this that word again innate i'm just thinking Innate means that we'll have that naturally within ourselves. Something happened where that ability was removed. Is it because of the environment? Is it because of society? Is it because of education? And obviously some people have unlearned that and they're able to tap into it again. So do you have to have an experience with an interdimensional being or extraterrestrial being in order to develop this? Or can this be learned and the ability be reinvigorated, if you will? Well, Dr. Mitchell used to always comment um, uh, that I, I used to love this comment. He used to say, well, you know, that, that during the age of reason, 400 years ago, they uh, they removed all all, all of um, science into the universities and into the scientists and uh, all the art and all the science. But they left consciousness with with religion. And that decision, that massive separation that happened, that bifurcation is um, was a direct result of influencing where we are as consciousness. And as you know, I, I come out of a philosophical religious background, and I would say that, you know, not only was religion given consciousness, but quite frankly, they did nothing with it. They just sat on it. They sat on it. They suppressed it and they ignored it. And they will never be called to accountability for the centuries of, of what that caused. So during that bifurcation, it also was a time when science uh, removed any talk of plasma or the ether. So the ether was considered one of the states of matter up until um, that time. So I think that we're only now, you know, we're this. I guess what's stunning is 
the centuries that this these evolvements happen as as humans advance and how long it takes for things to happen it's a you, you have to have patience as a human and that's another thing about being a human exoconscious human is patience for the fact that these long arcs unfold over a vast vast eras of time and you know is time you know we can talk about um time and time jumping and time shifts but um and th- i think things are speeding up because of of uh, computerization but um humans still need to have as you said some kind of grounding they need to walk on the earth and they need to ground themselves and humans it's just like raising an infant it takes time it's it's an organic beautiful process and part of transhumanism is to um cyborg people so that you don't have to wait <laughs> you don't have to wait for that to happen and and uh now's probably a good time to talk a little bit about social engineering because i write about that in my book and the actual the actual brilliant social engineering that went into um creating transhumanism and how um many of the psychologists that we hold sacred um were part of the Tavistock Foundation were part mm. of the Macy conferences and they laid down the blueprint for this to all happen we discussed and, the Tavistock Institute here all the time uh-huh. and we did have a magnificent show about it, but I've never heard of the Macy conference. Hmm. So Tavistock was English, as you know, uh, came out of the UK and then infiltrated into universities. The Macy conferences were funded by um, a family named Macy who were actually made their, their funds. They were, I think a Nantucket family made their funds from whaling. So, you know, very, very old American money. And they had about two or three years of what's called the Macy Conferences. And it was a, really an offshoot of the work that the Tavistock group was doing. So um, Margaret Mead was part of it. Um, um, many, many psychologists were, were involved in it. Um, and they, uh, as so let's put it like this, as so Tavistock really started around World War One, with the whole shell shock. So you have a shell shock soldiers who were traumatized. And that's where um, science began to learn about the fact that humans could be shocked and traumatized. And that would, you know, automatically lead to them um, being suppressed, con- having to suppress consciousness, having suppressed abilities, and literally not advancing. And so what uh, the Macy Conference did was to carry on that, carry on that work. Um, uh, one of the one of the people that came out of that was John Bowlby. I don't know if you've heard of him. I used a lot in my therapy, no. but he's he um, he began the research about um, how humans were um, conditioned. And they knew even back then in the 50s that, um, and probably even before that, that when a child is born to a mother, you have this very interesting um, uh, uh, relationship of DNA. So, so the children that I birthed, I have, I have their DNA in my body because I birthed them and they were in my womb and my body carries their DNA. And their body carries my DNA. So there's an automatic frequency set up between mother and child with that. And then you have the whole issues with the, you know, breastfeeding, the cortisol levels and the fact that, you know, the child can calm and the mother can calm through through breastfeeding or or holding a child and making eye contact. And and as a result of that, the child learns that they can move out into the world and function uh, safely. You mean oxy- and, oxytocin? Yes. And that they, they, they can then function safely in the world. And that if the child is then deprived of this, these first three years with its mother, then the child um, is very handicapped. So what happens is those first three years, a child really doesn't have 
um, the uh, conceptual reasoning ability. So they're just a sponge for every every belief, every fear, every idea that the mother holds because there's this continuing um, reflection back and forth of frequencies between the mother and child DNA. And so um, the work I do with a lot of my clients is um, going back to that original relationship with, with mother and then finding out unconsciously how they were imprinted by their mother and then bringing that to a conscious level where they can then begin to actually be their own self because up to that point, they're just their mother. <laughs> if you can grasp that. As long as these imprints remain unconscious, then you are unconsciously acting out of impulses that belong to your mother. And so then we have these generations of children who, you know, going back lineages, maternal, primarily maternal lineages that, um, that, that are now being broken because this information is starting to come out. But I mean, it was out, it was out in the fifties, it was out in the sixties, but it was very suppressed. So now we have the whole thing about, you know, don't biologically have a baby. So they want to you know, completely remove all of that, yeah. all of that DNA frequency that's being exchanged. But it's a fascinating thing. And the Macy, I'll give you some, I'll send you some resources on it. But, um, and I wrote about it in my book. But um, so they knew how to traumatize people. But hold it right knew. there. I don't mean to interject, but we have to break okay. both segments and we have to take a break. Uh, this is fascinating. Also, we didn't discuss your own experience. I wanted to leave that for part two, because I'm very curious to, to know what was that eureka moment? What what was the trigger event that put you where you are today? But you have written many books, including the latest one. How can people buy the books and learn more about your work, Rebecca? Everything's on Amazon or my website, exoconsciousness.com. Excellent. Well, one more hour. I can't wait to continue this discussion because it's going to be deeper. This is Mel Hasselrich, and my special guest is Rebecca Hartcastle-Wright, PhD. One more hour to go. So don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first part of this important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus members section or join the Veritas family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focus Life Force Energy. Get a 15-day free trial of FLFE today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to Veritas. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know more.